This is Fundraising Radio, and today is a guest speaker. We have Christian Pankofton, financial analyst at 30 Ventures. And today we'll talk about PAM financial analysts. Most people try to reach out directly to general partners, managing partners, and people who seem you know, authoritative and who have the check writing powers. And this episode will mainly focus on the importance of financial analysts and analysts in general in venture capitals and how to reach out to them and how to leverage that connection. So Christian, let's kick off by you giving us some background on yourself and on 13 ventures. Yeah, sure. So um, as you said, I'm Christian Van Kofsen, uh, financial analyst at 13 Ventures. I'm actually a recent graduate at Fordham University uh, with a degree in finance. So, you know, throughout college, I was very engaged with the entrepreneurial community. And for me, I wanted to figure out a way to put that to work as soon as possible. And for me, the best way to do that was, you know, get involved with the finance of startups. So, uh, working at Angels, which is a group of high net worth individuals uh, from around the world to invest in seed round funding uh, with founders. So, you know, anyone can really apply there. And I think they were a really great organization for helping to get me engaged in the startup community. And I leveraged that experience into my role now at 13 Ventures. Mm -hmm. Got it. So first things first, I wanted to talk a little bit about what do financial analysts do? Can you describe your major responsibilities at 13 Ventures? Yeah, sure. So uh, 13 Ventures, I'm primarily reaching out to founders, uh, reviewing business plans and pitches and doing a lot of, uh, you know, forecasting for companies, uh, putting together their models, um, you know, and then of course, you know, we actually are diversifying right now into a capital markets portion. So I also have been doing a lot of uh, research into, you know, industries and really for us, the whole reason why we're looking into the capital markets portion is not, so much that we plan to do that long term, but rather to look into the trends that make really excellent organizations in these you know major companies, and then also where their shortcomings, and then we can kind of apply that on a micro scale to some of the companies that we're looking at. So you know maybe we would look at a Mastercard for somebody who's trying to innovate in the payment space, or you know Bed Bath and Beyond for a company that's trying to look at you know home products. So that's kind of the uh, idea there. Wait a second, let me clarify that. So you're kind of switching from investing in startups into investing in capital markets, like buying distressed assets, uh, distressed debt and all that stuff, or is it something different from that? I think. Um, so I, let me be clear. So basically we're still investing primarily in startups, but as of recently, we've been making small investments to capital markets. Uh, company, you know, large companies like Bed Bath Beyond, for example, in the attempt to gain a better understanding of what makes a really excellent organization. So essentially, you know, it's not really about what our primary organizational goal is. You know, most of my day is kind of taking place in looking at the startups that are applying to our company to get funding. But you know, we're taking this experience with these larger companies, and we're trying to apply that logic to smaller companies. And I think uh, that goes back to the fact that a lot of um, startups get treated with a microscope sometimes in terms of, you know, what, how will they be sustainable? How will they grow? And we're trying to see what successful companies have already done and see how that kind of logic 
can apply to smaller companies. So that's been a lot of what I've been doing lately. Got it. Got it. So let's talk just a little bit more about your financial, I mean, analyst role at Third Ventures. What are you mainly looking at? So when you're reviewing pitch decks, when you look at the company that applied on Third Ventures website, what exactly are you looking for? Are you going on Crunchbase and seeing what, what metrics they have there? Or are you just Googling the name of the company? What are the first steps that you do in this you know, due diligence process, if you can call it so? Right, yeah. So, I mean, you know, and the first step for uh, screening any prospective investment for me personally is I just Google the company. I want to see, you know, what comes up and, you know, and obviously a lot of these are smaller companies, so you have to do a little digging and maybe, you know, and then eventually, you know, when you find it and figure out a good search uh, query, then I like to just see kind of what comes up and then check out their website, see how they're promoting themselves, see where they're identifying with. A lot of time you can figure out what companies are similar. And, you know, for me, ultimately, I'm just into products that, that kind of speak to themselves. And, and what I mean by that is that, you know, you could, the company, let's say, will share reviews. Let's say there's a consumer product company. They'll share reviews from uh, consumers that have bought across multiple platforms who are purchasing, are purchasing it, not for any reason, but because they absolutely love the product. And I think that the reason why I think that's important is because a lot of products uh, that people will, you know, end up becoming successful with will just be, you know, very fad oriented. And I think that products that are great, let's say with zero branding, you know, they would survive a, a completely blank cup test, for example. Um, those are the kind of companies that I really like. Um, and that could be, you know, that obviously doesn't have to be a beverage. That could be, you know, um, a, like a backpack that's incredibly excellent and has some um, innate utility to it that isn't offered by other backpacks. I think that innovation in that space is something that, uh, you know, is not really given enough credit. So, so that's kind of the stuff that I'm really looking at right away. And I, and the reason I focus on consumer product investing is because that is what their inventor does. So, you know, we're, that's what we're looking for. Right. Got it. So I know mainly, um, a lot of deals to the venture capitals come from their official websites, official, uh, you know, official pages, etc. But it feels like, for me personally, I don't, I don't, I don't really have any statistics on that. But it feels like mostly the deals that VCs fund are mostly inbound, so from their friends, from their old founders, from uh, you know, from connections. Does it work the same way at their ventures, or is it somewhat different to 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 actually fund deals that are coming from your website? Well, I think that you're kind of seeing there, and I think that you're absolutely right. A lot of it comes from networking, and especially even with us as well. I think it really comes from the fact that, you know, we have a limited amount of capital to put across, you know, a certain portfolio of companies. And if someone personally knows somebody or has had experience working with somebody in the past, you know, it's a lot easier to trust someone with, you know, millions of dollars. Cause I mean, I don't know about how the other organizations think about investing, but, you know, personally for myself, I always kind of think if this was my personal money, right? If this investor's money was my, you know, dollars in my pocket, who would I be giving it to? And, you know, that doesn't mean that people who apply to the company website don't get equal consideration because that actually, I will say is true. We have um, a running list of everybody who's listed the company's website, 
and every one of them, you know, is, gets a fair shake. But you know, it's definitely easier if you network because you know there's there's nothing nothing that beats um, you know being able to vouch for someone personally. And I, and even with New York Angels, a lot of the deals that ended up getting considered ended up coming through people who had done adequate mark uh, networking. And that's, that's not to say that you have to know someone your whole life. That could mean that, you know, standard networking technique, like reaching out to someone on LinkedIn or, you know, any other method that you might run into someone or meet someone, let's say a convention center or something, you know, completely and perfectly permissible. And, you know, just ask that person for coffee and get to know them. You're more likely to get funding from them versus, you know, just throwing your name into a bucket that's already full of names and out there. So last, probably one of the last questions I answer, I mean, that I ask you about their inventories is what exactly do you invest in? Are you stage agnostic? Are you industry agnostic? Or do you invest in specific stage and a specific industry? Um, yeah, so we're, we're, we're relatively industry agnostic. I mean, I would say that our focus is much heavier consumer products, but we also considered tech investments that are kind of oriented around innovating consumer product oriented industries. So I would say, you know, for us, our industry focus is, you know, if you just had to put a name to the consumer product space. Um, and then we're interested in, you know, companies with hundreds of thousands to, let's say, millions of, millions of uh, revenue every year. And so those are the kind of stated companies that we're actually looking at. Right, does that answer your question? Yep, it does indeed. And last, last question on 30 Ventures. How do you source your deal? So course, primarily it comes from the website and networking, but do you actually go through some publications and like, oh, that's that's a pretty cool idea. I'll, I'll reach out to these founders. Uh, how do you, how else do you source your deals? Yeah, so, I mean, I think that there is, lit as, you know, in terms of things that we are agnostic with, it ha it is definitely the way that we source companies, right? So, you know, somebody could have made a post on LinkedIn about, oh, this is kind of some cool concept we were looking at and we'll go out and we'll actually look at that company and if that is something that we're interested in we could always just shoot them an email i mean you know the chances of getting to being able to fund them on the reverse token is kind of the same thing as you know going the other direction where people are reaching out to us i mean you know that's more rare that that works out but then you know i mean it could be even as simple as i was um you know i'm right now i'm participating at fordham just helping with their angel fund and one of the people on the investment committee there uh, just told me about this guy who made this spatially aware video chat app where when you you know work, walk around with your virtual avatar, the closer you are to people, it's a proximity chat. So, you know, that's a person that, you know, I heard about through that and I might, you know, and then, for example, I might reach out to that person through that connection just from some random organization of it. So, mm -hmm. I mean, for us, it's really not about where it comes from. And I think that, you know, the channels can be from that, you know, we've met someone, send, people send me messages on LinkedIn, LinkedIn all the time. I read every one of them. I mean, not everything is within my range. I mean, I make an effort to kind of respond to them and say, you know, you're not really within our scope of investment, whether it be, you know, industry focused or whether it be, you know, size-based, 
uh, reasons for denial, but but I mean, you know, I'm looking at those and I don't know how much time that, and you know, to your point earlier about, you know, analysts and how people don't really think that that's the right place to reach out. I think that's, you know, a huge mistake because, you know, I, I doubt that um, someone who's, let's say an MD at Sequoia is probably reading every LinkedIn message they get. But for me, I'm earlier in my career and I have a little extra time sometimes at night and, you know, why not read the, you know, 20 or so messages and just kind of see if there's anything good there. And that, you know, I got to make, make a name for myself eventually as well. So, you know, I'm trying to see, well, maybe there really is something good here. I mean, just because someone reached out to you on LinkedIn doesn't mean that that's someone who's, you know, not in demand. I mean, that could just be something that's overlooked. Mm -hmm. So, so I feel like that's definitely a reason to consider reaching out to anyone. And then also just one more detail on that, uh, you know, networking, you know, it should start earlier on because then someone like me could advocate, hey, I'm talking to this guy on the phone and he's, you know, or I talked to this girl on the phone and they're, you know, great and you should really spend some time talking to them. Mm -hmm. Right, right, right. Yeah, networking early is important indeed. So you mentioned New York Angels like twice already, and I want to talk a little about that. What is New York Angels? What what does it do? And what did you do at New York Angels? Yeah, absolutely. So New York Angels is a uh, seed funding angel organization. So they're the third largest in the United States. And basically what they are is a consortium of wealthy businessmen and women who, you know, seen success themselves and now have some extra cash and want to go around and invest in companies together. And so, you know, they're probably one of the most disciplined organizations I've ever worked at in terms of the way they look at companies. Uh, you know, they bring in like a well-oiled machine, tons of new startups all the time uh, that go through, you know, a screening process from, you know, the across the organization of however many angels they have then it's, you know, then there's screening and then obviously the process goes on from there. Nice, nice. And what was your role there? Yeah, so in terms of the work I did there, um, you know, I pretty much served like a, a kind of an analyst associate level role, more more associate associate oriented just because it's typically a graduate level program. And, and basically what we did is, you know, we helped look through the companies that were reviewed and, you know, work with the people to you know help set up the screenings and then i'd bring in you know we'd bring in all the companies throughout the day and the angels would just come in and sit at these presentations and you know and then you have to wheel all the prospective founders in and a lot of them got actually you know second and third meetings and then for those second and third meetings you know we have to run the investment uh process there so set up all the tech and write all the notes disseminate all the materials and kind of just keep the investment process, uh, the nuts and bolts going, right? So, you know, the angels themselves have a lot of good questions. Um, we're actually expected to participate in that as well, I'm not just going to be passive bystanders, you know, ask the founders questions ourselves, work with the angels to kind of say, you know, how what we've seen in the past, how that lines up, what we're seeing with these companies now. So, it's, you know, it's kind of just, it, it was a lot of like a combination of, basically running the investment process so people could who uh, have the capital could come and have a nice you know for them to be able to analyze and invest in companies and then also participate in that investment process itself 
and you know do industry and company research in order to help determine if that's a good investment or not mm -hmm. right right so now that we talked about like uh actually i wanted to talk about the different options so you work both at avc and at an angel group and that's one of the not frequently frequently asked but sometimes i get this question like should i start by reaching out to angel groups or should i start by reaching out to vcs what's your what's your opinion on that who should start reaching out by going to vcs and who should start by going to angel groups um yeah i mean you know i guess it really depends right so uh, in terms of an angel group um if you're if you're pre-revenue you definitely shouldn't be talking to you know vc but even if you're very low revenue or just starting out, or <clears throat> let's say you've released a prototype and you know now you've kind of had a few paying customers who are willing to you know back your WeFunder or Kickstarter or something, <clears throat> then those you know those people probably should reach out to an angel fund. Not just because you know the angel fund is focused on making those smaller investments, but also because uh, they have it's a collection of different people from many different industries. And so the chance that you'll have someone, you know, if you go to an organization as established as like, you know, New York Angels, um, then you're likely to find someone on that team who, if you have a really great concept, they will, you know, latch on to that and really um, want to advocate for you for the other angels and then also, you know, give you advice about what, how your company could be improved. So, I mean, that's a little bit more of a, a handheld process uh, versus, let's say, you know, what venture capital in general, or even maybe what I'm doing with uh, 13 Ventures is kind of, you know, we want to see companies that have revenues that are sustainable, uh, products that are developed, and we want to give them money to help, you know, expand their operations. So we're not interested in coming in and, uh, you know, completely, I mean, we're, we're happy to make suggestions about how to brand a certain product or how to, you know, what channels to look for in terms of or how to improve the logistics or reduce costs, but we're not there to basically say, oh, um, you know, here's how you should develop your product further. I mean, that's at least not as much as you would in an angel style organization. Right, right. Good point. Now that we touched on two differences between angel groups and VCs, I was going to ask you about your advice on alternative sources of capital. So deeper we go into the crisis and the more uncertainty there is, the less VC funding there is out there. So what do you think are the major alternative sources of capital to VC and angel funding? Um, well, you know, I mean, this is going to sound, you know, very, very typical, but I think my favorite, you know, since we talked about that, uh, my favorite is, is really Kickstarter. And there's a company who we invest uh, in that actually used the Kickstarter campaign to fund every single one of their new product releases. And I mean, so these, you know, and they're, and they're, they're guys who, you know, we gave them growth capital to help expand their operations. But what that does, you know, if you're, if you're being uh, proactive and you're demonstrating to these uh, funding style people that, you know, you're able to get interest in your idea, especially enough for people to actually, you know, wheel out their dollars for you, then that's, you know, something they're interested in investing in. Because I don't necessarily agree that that venture capitalists aren't investing at all right now. I think they're just trying to figure out, well, who's the person who, who's going to get that intrinsic mm. interest? And so, you know, if you're able to demonstrate that through, a, you know, Kickstarter style uh, raise, then that's, you know, that's excellent. The demonstration for me 
you know, I just want to touch on this uh, demonstration for me is absolutely everything. If you can demonstrate that people, and this, I would say is more of something for earlier to mid early stage kind of people, something to think about is being able to demonstrate that your idea works is essential. You know, proof of concept is everything to me when someone, you know, tells you about an idea. It's like, well, that sounds great on paper, but you know, to people, you know, let's say people will do something sustainability oriented. It's like how how do you prove that someone actually is willing to spend an extra dollar or two on your product versus another because it's sustainable? So I think that all those kind of things come together to say like um, to you know to get VC funding in this time, you should figure out different ways to demonstrate um, how your company is going to be successful, and that could be through you know a Kickstarter. And then alternatively, something like a lead funder where, you know, you're giving up a piece of equity for people who invest a small portion of money in your company. I mean, there's downsides though. Uh, you're having a lot of unsophisticated investors being added to your, uh, you know, your capital structure and people like the New York Angels don't really love seeing that you have a bunch of unsophisticated, unsophisticated investors on there. And, you know, they might want to clean up your cap table, but ultimately, you know, whatever you have to do to get funding will be more likely forgiven in this time than other times. So, you know, I, I'd say that's definitely time to, to look out to those options and kind of look past the traditional, if that's something you're not able to get access to. Right. And you mentioned equity crowdfunding. That's a great source. I actually just interviewed the CEO of Republic, uh, the, the, I think one of the largest, uh, equity crowdfunding platforms in the US. So definitely take a look at it. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And here we're moving on to the last question of today's episode, which is a call to action. What's that one thing that you want the listener to do as soon as the episode is over? Uh, yeah, so I mean, I think that a lot of people do, uh, especially early stage founders, take a lot of steps to make the company feel real. Um, and by that, I mean, they'll spend on, they'll spend money on branding or business cards or, you know, an office <laughs> stuff that they really just don't need. And I think that that's the kind of stuff that drives people who are trying to, you know, give you money crazy because it's looking at it and it's like, all right, well, so if I give you a hundred thousand dollars today, 20,000 of that's going to be gone by a few months from now. And most of that 20,000 is spent on, you know, stuff you really don't need, like an office when you know you're the only employee or you have two employees or you know business card really fancy business card and that's the kind of stuff where it's just like the money that vcs give you they want to give you so that you take that money and put it directly into taking sales from point a and getting it you know growing to point b they don't want you to be wasting costs so you know i think the most important thing is to to feel what you know figure out what are your waste what are you wasting money on really in a, in a, from an outside perspective, um, so that you can feel confident about what you're spending the money on is directly correlated with increased sales, uh, and you know, and, and really making your vision becoming true, and you know, VCs will recognize that too. Right, right, right. That's that's a great point. Great point. I myself uh, used to buy t-shirts with the logo on it I, I still love that stuff I'm not sure if we're on the same page here I love t-shirts with the custom logos and, and you know the, all that stuff so um can't really judge me for 
<laughs> Listen, I would say that the T-shirt with a custom logo, I mean, that's a few bucks. That's not, I wouldn't say that's the same thing. That's, especially if you're selling them too, to raise uh, money for your company. That's, you know, one. I've seen people do that, uh, especially sure. if you have a really good logo. So, you know, if you have a friend who can develop your logo instead of spending a ton of money on, uh, you know, someone to professionally do it at first, that's, you know, and then you could sell a T-shirt with your logo on it. I mean, hey, that's great, you know, <laughs> right. but... Uh, the extra fancy business cards, maybe not so much. I, you know, I, and I had a similar kind of, you know, I feel like I see that all the time. So, you know, that's, that's just something where it's, it's important to be able to identify what expenditures are, you know, associated with increasing your brand's growth. And that could be a t-shirt with your logo on it, but you have to be educated about that decision. And you have to say, is this actually creating growth or am I just spending this money to, you know, make me feel good, which, then in that case, it's probably not the best idea. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's definitely a good point. And personal advice: don't even get business cards. No one uses them. Exactly. Uh, it's it's such a rare thing to use business cards. Seriously. <laughs> uh, just just ignore that part. Uh, anyways, <laughs> we'll wrap it up here. Thanks a lot, Christian, uh, for coming out for taking your time to participate on fundraising video. It was a fun conversation. Uh, some interesting new stuff learned some old stuff reviewed so thanks for that and have a great day of course have a wonderful day